Galatians 1, verses 1 to 10. When I was uh, beginning my seminary education in my 20s, um, I was super excited about everything that I was going to learn. I'd been wanting, it was sort of a dream for a long time to go to seminary. But I was also concerned um, about what diving down into the minutiae of Greek and Hebrew and theology would do to my faith. Would I lose God in all the details? Would I lose perspective on what's really important, what really matters? And, And so here was my prayer all during those seminary days. God, show me what matters most. Show me what is most strongly on your heart. Don't let me lose sight of that. I want to prioritize what's most important to you and not get distracted by secondary matters. And, and God really answered that prayer for me. Uh, one of the things I, I began to notice as I studied the Bible was there were certain themes which came up over and over and over again. And there are certain places where the Bible gets really worked up and passionate, where instead of being calm and comforting, God's word jumps up and down, it screams and yells, it begs and pleads with us not to miss what it's trying to tell us. And today's passage is one of those places. I'm astonished, Paul begins, that you're turning to a different gospel. Then he adds, if anyone should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I don't pound the pulpit very often, do I? (laughs) This is important. Let me say this again, Paul says. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Wow, right? He has our attention. We better listen up this morning. (laughs) Paul is super passionate. He's super worked up at this point. He's calling down curses from heaven. Because this is one of these messages, one of of these priorities that that we are expected not to miss. So let's take a look at what Paul's so worked up about here. To get started, we'll step back and review the situation that prompted Paul to write this. Paul's writing here to some communities of people who lived in a place called Galatia. Today, it's, it's part of the country of Turkey. And Paul had gone there earlier, probably with his partner Barnabas, and um, told the people there about the amazing things that God had done through Jesus Christ. Some healings and some other miracles had also taken place there in Galatia in connection with this news about Jesus that Paul and Barnabas were bringing. And a number of the Galatians had decided that they wanted to follow Jesus. They also, in the course of of their conversion, had had a powerful experience of God's presence, the, the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, demonstrating that they were now included among God's people. That'll come up in chapter two or three later. So then Paul formed these folks into some groups, meeting in homes, and he spent time there instructing them on their new faith, and then Paul and his companions moved on. This is what they did in city after city, telling about Jesus, starting little groups of followers, and then moving on. But after Paul left Galatia, some other Christian teachers came in behind. They were Jews, like Paul and Barnabas, who had come to follow Jesus, but these new teachers began teaching the Galatians that Paul hadn't given them the whole story about Jesus. In fact, they said Paul had only given them the easy part. 
the nice appealing part. Paul neglected some of the important but harder to swallow details of what it means to follow Jesus. And so these teachers added, you, you can't really trust Paul. He's, he's a bit of a maverick, a, a self-proclaimed expert. But Paul's not a true authorized representative of the Jesus movement. Because you see, Paul wasn't from Jerusalem. Paul didn't have the blessing and the authority of, of the, the Jesus headquarters in Jerusalem where the original apostles were, who had known Jesus face to face and had been taught by him directly. So these new teachers, on the other hand, were saying, we are from Jerusalem, and so we speak with official authority. Paul does not. Now, to understand exactly what these Jerusalem teachers were were teaching and arguing with Paul about, we have to go back and put all of this in the context of the bigger story. It all began with Abraham and Sarah the couple that God had appeared to and made an incredible promise to like a thousand years before all this is happening. God promised he would bless them. God promised he would make their descendants into an amazing, numerous people. And through this people, God would bless all the nations of the earth. God set Abraham and his family off as as special by by giving them a special sign, the, the circumcision of all their males. This marked them off as as the people of God, the people who were part of this promise. And and what did Abraham and Sarah do to earn all this? Nothing. All they did was believe God in response and, and then follow God wherever God led them. Well, fast forward a few hundred years. Abraham and Sarah's family grew. Their kids had kids, and those kids had kids, lots of kids, and, and after a while, this growing family started to, to squabble among themselves. They, they were getting into trouble. They'd forgotten about God. And, and so under the leadership of Moses, God has some reforming to do. And so, among other things, God gives them his law. God reminds them about circumcision, that mark which set them off as special. He tells them to, to be there to be special. God also gives them a bunch of other laws and and commands about how to be a good and a just society, to show the world a better way, to to, uh, be a blessing to the nations like God had promised that Abraham's descendants were going to be. God also gave his people a second gift besides the law under Moses' leadership. God gave them his own self, God's own presence, to be with them, to set them apart, to guide them. Well, guess what? God's law didn't really help God's people become the, guy, the kind of people that God wanted them to be, to be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness. Because God's people ignored God's commands very often. They, they broke his laws. They rebelled against God. And, and so fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm just flying through the story. God was begging and pleading with his people to come back to him. They would not. God eventually then disciplined them. By, by scattering them among the nations, exiling them from their own land. And so then for almost 600 years, God's people lived in exile. Eventually, some came back to Jerusalem and Palestine, but they were still under the domination of the foreign nations which had exiled them. And others remained scattered in, in communities and ethnic enclaves here and there, trying to survive, trying to keep their identity among the surrounding nations. And during this time of exile, three aspects of God's law that God had given to them began to become super important for these these Jewish enclaves 
to, to retain their identity, to set them apart as Jews over against all the other peoples that they were scattered among. One was circumcision for the men, still the ultimate identity badge of being Jewish. And, and what's helpful to know is that by the time Paul comes along, which is during the, the uh, time of the Roman Empire now, everyone knew if a guy was circumcised. Because if you know from your history books, if a man went to the public baths or exercised or competed in sports, how did they do that in Roman times? Naked, right? So the Jewish men stood out from everyone else who were not circumcised. All right, so circumcision. Then second aspect of God's law that that set the Jews apart were the holidays that they kept. They observed the Sabbath, resting every Saturday. They observed Passover, Tabernacles, Hanukkah, etc. Just like today, these traditions were full of meaning for the Jews. They preserved their identity. They pointed them back to God. They set them off as special. And then third, the Jews ate kosher. That set them off as well. No pork, no shellfish, etc., The way they ate set them off as special. So in Paul's day, you had these Jews seeking to exist amidst the Roman Empire. Some of them lived in Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea and Galilee. Many others lived scattered here and there all over the empire in various places and cities. And many of them were trying hard to hold on to their special status as God's people. In fact, they looked down on the non-Jews around them, the the Gentiles as they called them, the the pagan sinful peoples as they saw them. The Jews prided themselves, by contrast, for keeping Moses' law, for being circumcised, for keeping the Jewish holidays, for eating kosher, as well as other things. And then this amazing thing happened. God sent his people a savior a king to to reconcile them to God, to reestablish God's kingdom among them. And so Jesus came to Galilee, to Jerusalem. Jesus lived and ministered among the Jews living there. And then Jesus died for the sins of the Jewish people and then rose from the dead. And the Jews were invited back into a renewed relationship with God after all those years of exile and alienation. And to confirm the renewal of this relationship, God himself returned his presence to his people. In in the person of the Holy Spirit, God came to dwell in, in all who believed in Jesus. Now, many Jews rejected Jesus because they were looking for a successful military Messiah who would overthrow the Roman Empire, not a seeming failure who got crucified by the Romans. But some Jews accepted Jesus, and those who accepted him, Jesus commissioned to spread the news that God was offering salvation through Jesus. Well, these Jews who followed Jesus fanned out from Palestine, and they began telling other Jews who lived scattered all over the Roman Empire the good news about God sending Jesus as their Messiah. And that's what Paul was doing. Only Paul wasn't just telling the good news to fellow Jews— Paul was also telling it to non-Jews, to Gentiles like the Galatians. In fact, Paul had been called by Jesus to do this very thing. Jesus had specifically called Paul to invite all the Gentile nations to come be a part of the salvation, part of the people of God, part of the kingdom that Jesus was establishing. And including the Gentiles in this Salvation was the fulfillment, if you remember way back to the beginning of the story with Abraham and Sarah, it was the fulfillment of the promise that Abraham 
that God had made to Abraham's, that his descendants would be a blessing to all the nations, to all the Gentiles. Okay, so back to Galatia now. We have this group of Gentiles in Galatia who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. And, and here's what the teachers from Jerusalem, here's where they come in. They say, it's fine that you Gentiles want to follow Jesus. We're, we're really happy for you. That, that's great that you want to be a part of God's people. We welcome you as long as you become Jews. After all, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is saving the Jewish people. And you're welcome to join in by becoming Jewish. Because that's what God's people look like. God's people look Jewish. And that's how they're different from all the pagan sinful nations like you guys used to be. Godly people are circumcised. Godly people keep the Sabbath. Godly people eat kosher. They obey God's laws. They obey the Bible, which remember at that time is just the Old Testament. So come join us. This is what these Jerusalem teachers were teaching, and, and they were criticizing Paul for not teaching it. They're saying Paul's a compromiser. He's a people pleaser. Paul's just telling you what you want to hear. He's afraid to tell you the whole truth, probably because he knows how unpopular circumcision is. For obvious reasons for the men, right? <laughs> um, but in the Roman world, it was also considered repugnant and indecent to be circumcised. And you can be sure there were lots of nasty locker room jokes back then about circumcised Jews. And so nobody would want to open themselves up to that. No Gentile would to that sort of shame or, or abuse. But the Jerusalem teachers say, there's a cost to following Jesus. And so they challenged the Galatians to finish their conversion by becoming Jewish, by being circumcised, etc., and a lot of the Galatians evidently were so zealous for Jesus that they were ready to do it. They were ready to become circumcised. And then Paul finds out that this is going on. And Paul goes ballistic. He blows every fuse in his circuit panel. And he fires off this heated letter to the Galatians. Let's look this morning just at how he begins. First 10 verses at how he responds to these, these teachers in Jerusalem and, and what they're teaching the Galatians. Paul begins right up front by admitting that he does not have the credentials that the Jerusalem leaders claim that they have. Paul's not authorized, he's not ordained by the apostles in Jerusalem. He wasn't sent out from headquarters. But, Paul says, I've got some even better credentials. I was sent by God himself. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. This is Paul's own story. It's his own testimony in a nutshell. You might be familiar with his story if you've read the book of Acts. In, in the past, Paul had hated Christians. He'd been a persecutor of them. But then Jesus had appeared to him on the road one day in blinding splendor. The Jesus who had been crucified, the Jesus who Paul thought was dead, that Jesus, very much alive, had appeared to Paul. That Jesus had told Paul to go preach about him to the Gentiles. And that's what motivated Paul. That's where Paul got his marching orders from. He got them directly from Jesus. 
and God. It didn't matter whether the apostles in Jerusalem authorized him or not. Paul answered to a higher authority. And so he, he concludes our passage down in verse 10. Do you think I'm trying to win human approval? No, I'm trying to win God's approval. I'm doing this for God because God called me to do it. Not any human being. No, I'm the servant of Christ. I was sent by Christ. I represent him. I'm sharing and, and teaching the message that he gave me to tell. And that's my only authority that I can claim. Now, don't worry. Paul isn't going to just play the God card and insist that the, Gentiles, the Galatians believe him. Later in his letter, he's going to argue from Scripture that his gospel is actually what the Bible teaches. But for right now, he takes the Jerusalem teacher's criticism against him, and he turns it on its head. And he says, you claim to have authority I don't have, you Jerusalem teachers, that you were sent from Jerusalem. Well, I have something even better. God and Jesus sent me. <laughs> so right here, as he starts his letter, Paul sets up a contrast between God's gospel and between the human gospel, which the Jerusalem teachers are peddling. Let's look at the difference between these two gospels. Paul's gospel God's gospel is based on grace, verse 6. I am astonished, Paul says to the Galatians, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. To live in the grace of Christ. That's Paul's message. That God has called us to live in the grace of Christ. You know, right there is the difference between God's gospel and every other human gospel. Right there is the difference between God's message to humanity, according to Paul, and the message of every other religion. Every other religion tells us our obligations to God. What we must do to work our way back to God, to earn our way back to God. But God's gospel, Paul says, is different. It tells us what God has done for us. It tells us that instead of God offering us a list of, of the things that we must do to earn God's favor, God has offered us that favor for free before we've done anything to deserve it. That's grace. That's undeserved favor. That's God's gospel. Paul explains how it works out right in, in verse 3 at the beginning of his letter. He reminds the Galatians of, of what he'd proclaimed to them, that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Christ gave himself. We didn't have to do the giving, the sacrificing, the earning. Christ gave himself for our sins. Yes, we, we've messed up God's good world. We, we all have in one way or another. We've neglected to, to seek out God to seek out God's will for our lives. Uh, and we've many times just done our own thing. And in the process, we've worked up quite a debt to God. L like a tenant who, who trashes their landlord's house over the years. And, and the landlord can pull money out of the tenant's security deposit, right, to fix the damage. But what happens when the damage winds up costing far more than what's in the security deposit? And, and what if the tenant doesn't have the money to pay the, the balance of the debt? Well, well, the best possible news for the tenant would be that someone else would pay for the damage 
and release us from the debt, right? Christ gave himself for our sins to pay the debt. And this was God's will, the will of God, verse 4. That's the gospel of God. That's grace. God's undeserved, generous favor. But the gospel doesn't end there. It goes on in verse 4 to rescue us from the present evil age. Not only does God, the landlord, forgive the debt we owe for trashing his house, but he rescues us from the house we trashed and moves us into a much better house. No other religion offers this kind of good news. In every other religion, you have to come up with the rent yourself. You, you have to work hard to, to earn your way to heaven or, or to whatever version of the afterlife that religion believes in, but not with God's gospel. In God's gospel, God rescues us from our debt, from the, rest we, rest, the mess we made, and invites us for free to live a brand new life in a new coming kingdom. Praise God. That's why Paul's so mad at the Jerusalem teachers and their human gospel. Because according to these teachers, the Galatian Gentiles have to do something to deserve their salvation. They have to become different. They have to look different. They have to act different. They have to become circumcised to start eating kosher, to to start looking and acting like Jews and keeping all the Jewish laws. And Paul says, no way, that's fine for the Jews. They're already doing that. But you do not have to do that. God has already given you the fav- God's favor for free. How could you go back now and try to earn it? How could you go back and try to earn what you already have for free? The Gentiles don't need to become Jews. They don't have to do anything to earn their spot in God's family, in God's salvation. God's already given it to them. This is grace. This is the gospel, the good news, Paul says, that Christ himself, God himself, gave me to share. And a curse be on anyone who shares anything else, Paul says. Paul's worked up about this, huh? Because this matters intensely. Grace matters. If God, like a landlord, is offering to to forgive the tenant's debt, but his representatives are going around behind him and saying, no, you've still got to pay. And then they're pocketing the money. This is a very big problem, right? And Paul will have none of it. Let me close with this story. It's about um, a college student who was taking a youth ministry class in Missouri at Hannibal LaGrange College. This was back in the spring of 2002. Um, And it was the day of the final exam for the class. And the student left work early that day so he could get in some extra study time. And he recounts, when I got to class, the the teacher came in and said he would review with us before the test. And most of this review came right from the study guide. But there were some things he was reviewing that I had never heard. When questioned about it, he said they were in the book and we were responsible for everything in the book. Well, we couldn't argue with that. Finally, it was time to take the test and... The professor said, leave them face down on the desk until everyone has one, and then I'll tell you to start. The professor was Dr. Tom Huffy, by the way. When when we turned them over to begin, to my astonishment, every answer on the test was filled in. 
My name was even written on the exam in red ink. The bottom of the last page said, this is the end of the exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. You have just experienced grace. <laughs> Everyone wants to sign up for Dr. Huffy's class. <laughs> well, he, he went around the room, the professor did then, and he asked each student individually, what's your grade? Do you deserve the grade you're receiving? <laughs> How much did all of your studying for this exam help you to achieve that grade? You have just experienced grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to respond to that story with, that's not fair. <laughs> that is academic irresponsibility. <laughs> and that's what the Jerusalem teachers were saying about Paul's gospel. That's not fair. Paul, you can't let the dropouts, the Gentiles who didn't study have the same grade as those of us Jews who have spent all our lives diligently studying. You're being irresponsible, Paul. And Paul says, come on, you guys know that, that, that if you had to take the test yourself, if we had to take the test ourselves, nobody would pass God's test. So Jesus took it for us and gave us all an A. Jews and Gentiles, studious students, and slackers. All got an A on the exam. We can all come into God's new family just as we are. That's God's gospel, and it's based on grace. And there's no other gospel, no other religion like it in the whole world. Because no human being would dare to suggest that God would do this. <laughs> But God doesn't think the way we think. And so God did it and offered it to all of us for free.